How many glad to be here? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We want to give you an opportunity to give right now and um, behind the screen here in just a second, you'll be, be able to see the different ways you can give. Um, I, I want to say this. The, the reason we give is because God gave so much to us. Amen. How many is glad to be able to put God first in your life? Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I ask you to be mindful in your giving today and I'm so thankful for a church that partners with us to be able to do what we do in this community and throughout the world, the different missions efforts that we do sponsor. And then, of course, last week I got so caught up in the service and so caught up what was going on. Um, I, I think the staff has probably learned by now, don't ask me to do anything extra outside of the message on Sundays uh, because I forget stuff. I can even have notes and I'm still going to forget that the notes are in front of me to read to everyone here. And so, uh, but no, seriously, last week was Mission Sunday and, and Jason and Teresa Cutright, thank you so much for leading our new missions effort. Amen. Absolutely. And so you'll hear more about that as we go. And, and, uh, I want you to be a part of it. I, I believe they've got some great plans. We're going to end up going to some countries and traveling and going, doing some missions work. And it's going to be absolutely incredible. If you've never been on a missions trip, I would ask that you pray and ask the Lord to put it on your heart because I promise you it will forever change your perspective in our first world situation. Amen. And so I would ask you to give that a shot. But anyhow, um, I do have a few things I am going to say today that I, I, again, I meant to say it last week and just completely spaced it. Um, You may have noticed that um, the building's getting a bath. And uh, see, that's actually the original paint. We just, we just pressure, just kidding. We didn't, no, we are repainting the building and Ryan is doing a fantastic job uh, doing that. Amen. And uh, it is just absolutely incredible what he's done. And, and what's crazy is he, he, he took about two weeks to get to this point. And um, he was pressure washing things. And finally, I was like, man, get rid of the pressure wash. Let's throw some paint on that building. And, uh, but no, he has taken so much pride in making sure that the building is prepped and ready to go for, it, for its new color, its new bath. And um, I'm just thankful for people who take pride in the house of God. Amen. Amen. And with that, uh, you know, Eric... Thank you so much for taking care of Jurassic Park. I mean, it just, it's just incredible, right? Yeah, it, it, you never know what you're going to find out there. We've got a family of fox that live on the property, and they're competing for uh, territory. But Eric's doing a fantastic job, is he not, keeping our grass cut and our bushes trimmed the way they need to be. Amen. Thank you, Eric. And, um, but there, there is a transformation that is taking place inside the building and um, led by the Perrymans. And um, I don't know if you've looked back there or not right now. It looks like they're just having fun on the wall, just throwing stuff. And, uh, but no, things are starting to take place. And then we are revamping that entire area in the, in the kids' area back there. And I have to say, I've come up here several times during the week. And I find them working along with Reagan and Fran and Kayla and Savannah. And they're just doing everything that they can to make our kids' space what it needs to be. How many is grateful for people, again, who take a pride in the house of God? Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you guys, all of you, and anyone who puts their hand to the work here. I, I'm just, I'm proud to be here with you, and um, thank you. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and get into the message today. If I've forgotten anything, guys, again, sorry, it's just what I do. Uh, several weeks ago, we entered into a new series called The Rest of God. 
Uh, and it's going to be absolutely impossible for me to go back and, and touch the first two messages. Uh, last week we took a little break because of just God wanted to do some things. And, did, and, and anybody receiving any answers to the prayers that were prayed over you as you walked up here through the line? Anybody? Go ahead. If you just raise your hand. All right, there we go. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm, I'm hearing some great things. Uh, some of our staff are talking about some blessings that they've been praying for that came through the line, got prayed for, and they happened. And we ought to celebrate those moments, amen? Amen. How many are glad you serve a prayer-answering God? Amen? Right. And so we took that break for that, uh, but I want to get back into the series today. And um, today's installment Simply this, stopping to see the bigness of God. Stopping to see the bigness of God. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, uh, we're going to start in verse 8, and it simply says this, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner sojourner who is with you uh, in your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Everyone say made it holy. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 And it says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And everyone said amen to the reading of the word. Amen, amen. amen. All right, let's get started here today. So, anybody busy? Here she comes. We're all busy. It's busy, busy, busy. We're always running from one thing to another. We we run, we play, we work, and then we run to play again. And to top it all off, we stress about how busy we are. Many of us have been in a hurry most of our lives. In fact, uh, I would say the millennials down that's all they know is busyness. That's all they know is to be in a hurry. They, they don't know what it is. They, they, they don't even know what snail mail is. And if you do, then you're, you're revealing your age. We know, what that, we, we know what it is to write out a letter and then perhaps even type it out and put it in, fold it nice and put it in an envelope and then go to the post office and put a stamp on it that used to cost us hardly nothing, but now it costs us half a dollar anymore or more than that to, to mail that letter. And it takes three to four or five days for that to get there. I, I don't know the last time I've actually wrote out a letter or typed out a letter and sent it to anyone uh, because I can rather just type it on my computer and hit send and it's there instantaneously, right? It can be all the way around the world in a matter of seconds. Technology was supposed to make our lives easier and better, but actually I think it's made us all more of in a hurry, if you will. Uh, Phones, before they were in our pockets, were in our homes and offices. Does anybody have a home phone anymore? If you do, you're a relic, you're a dinosaur, (laughs) right? 
uh, it, when they first came to the homes and the offices, boy, that was, supposed, that, that, that was supposed to make life so much more convenient and so much easier to communicate. And, and uh, I remember as a kid, every time the phone rang, I would run to catch it before anybody else did because I knew it was April calling. And we would stay on the phone for hours and we never talked, we just breathed. <laughs> I just want to hear your breath. Now I'm asked to turn your breath away and, and but no, <laughs> Roo? <laughs> but it was supposed to make communication easier and faster and, and more responsive, but actually all it did was make us more in a hurry to receive that communication. Before we were forced to wait to hear from people, meaning if we left the office, we had to wait before. So we got home in order to get that call. And more than likely, if they called, you know, they would call before you got there and it would just ring off the hook. And then, oh my God, the golden answer machine, right? And, and so all of these things began to happen, but it just made us more in a hurry to receive communication. But before there was a pause, there was a delay. And that delay, that pause was good. It gave you a sense of solace and, and a sense of, of, of stepping back and kind of disconnecting for just a moment. But instead of tech giving us a greater knowledge of, of anything, it's only increased our desire for more of everything. Uh, today, we have more knowledge of everything, but I think and I fear that we know less of God than ever. I've heard it said that knowledge will double every 13 months or so, meaning that all the knowledge from the beginning of the world until now will actually double in the next 13 months. And yet all this knowledge, it hasn't really made us any wiser or any better. Why? Because we know less of the one who holds all knowledge. And, and I want you to understand that this, this fallacy that knowledge is power is, is garbage. You see, knowledge is not power unless it is used wisely. Uh, in fact, today, young people will seek knowledge and borrow tens of thousands of dollars to go into debt for an education to obtain a piece of paper that says you now have a degree, but you'll more than likely, statistically speaking, end up in, uh, in, 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 inside of an industry that doesn't even acknowledge the benefit of your degree. And, and, and how does this happen? Why does this happen? It's, 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 it, well, basically what I would tell you, if you're seeking knowledge, that's great. And the education, and I, and I, man, I encourage it. Go for it. Uh, get the education. Get the knowledge that you need to, to be able to be successful in life. But I would tell you this. Choose wisely, my friends. And, and why does this happen? Why do, we, why do we do this kind of thing? It's because we're in pursuit of all the wrong things. It, it, it's trying to become more for the sake of more. Uh, Matthew 6, tells us, though, the very opposite. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. What things? Everything. Everything you could possibly hope for or need, actually, because we, we, we skew our, our desires and needs. Y'all waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's no other shoe. They both drop right there. Needs and desires are not the same thing. And so we, we, we go for more and we seek more for the sake of more. But knowledge today, I want you to understand, let me compare this. It is what the gold rush was to the early settlers of our country. 
People sold their souls to stake out claims and many of them drove themselves mad looking for this elusive sparkling dust. Sure, some hit it well and some hit it big, but most did not. In fact, the phenomenon, the thing that overtook their life actually was called gold fever. They got excited about gold and, and so they went after it with everything in them. And, and this reminds me of a, of a story that I read about a grandmother in British Columbia, Canada and, and as she was working in her backyard tending to her garden. She had this huge garden and it was sacred work. It was good work. It was busy work, but it was actually very good work. Why? Because her work would fill her family's home with all of the food and things of necessity that she needed to feed her family. But there was a problem. Right in the middle of this a magnificent garden, right in the middle of everything that provided for her life was this rock. And this rock was just obtrusive and it, and, and it, and, and it just sat there and she couldn't move it. It was too big. It was too large for her to, to move it. And so she thought to herself, well, if I can't move it, then I might as well make something of it. And so she went and she got a, uh, some sandpaper and, and, and she said, you know what? We're going to polish this thing up. And so she went after it with some vigor. And, 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 but the more, but I want you to understand, the more she sanded, the more she, she, got, she got more than she bargained for. And after what seemed like an hour of sanding, she started to notice something sparkling. And right there in the middle of her garden, in the middle of all of this produce, in the middle of all this food for her family, as she's sanding this rock, the harder she sanded, the more she sanded, the more of this fine dust started to show up. And so again, after an hour of sanding, she pressed her fingernail into the the, the mound of, of gold, what appeared looked like gold sparkling dust to her. It confirmed It was pliable and it was soft and sure enough, beyond her wildest dreams and beyond her wildest imaginations, she struck gold. And at this moment, she caught the virus. Is that okay to say today? Is that that been, is that that all right to say? Uh, she, she She caught the fever. Is that better? Uh, and, and so, she scrubbed harder and harder and she sanded with more vigor than ever before. And, and, and in her spirit and, and even in her body, she became youthful again. I'm talking about an old lady now and that, you know, her bones creaked in the morning when she got up and now they weren't creaking. They were very pliable and she was happy and she was excited and she's rubbing and she's sanding and she's getting all excited. And, and there she, she, she sees, oh my God, uh, she's overwhelmed with what looks like to be wealth that has been struck. She sat down. She wiped her brow with her left hand and something caught her attention on the underside of her hand. Her wedding band doesn't look right. And the closer she looked to her shock and horror, her once beautiful wedding ring was now as thin as a cheese slicer wire. What she didn't know is that while she was sanding that rock, she was actually sanding away her precious heirloom. It was fool's gold. The rock wasn't gold at all. She was sanding away a prized possession. 
And today it's, it's knowledge fever. It's, it's having more fever. And, and it, it's always wanting to know more. But in one particular context, uh, 1 Timothy uh, 3, 7 says, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. I realize that context is a little different in what they were dealing with, but that application applies all the same. That, that this was never what God designed for us. And, and I want you to understand something. We know more than we ever have the ability to obey. We know more knowledge today than we've ever known before. But God's design for us was simply this in 1 Timothy 2.4, that he desired all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. And so the pursuit of knowledge apart from truth is actually zero value to us. And can I tell you, I want you to understand this, not all knowledge is truth. Do you realize that? I know it's on the internet, but that doesn't mean it's true. I realize it's on CNN and, and MSNBC, Fox, or whatever, the other, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS. I, I realize it's on those places, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. doesn't mean that that knowledge that they're giving to you, that they're uh, spelling out to you, is actually truth. But I wonder how many of us do the same in our everyday lives as grandma did. We pursue what we think is valuable only to recognize the value that we already possess is right there in our families, right there in our community, right here in our church. And, we, and we've gotten so busy that we have fouled it down. We have worn it away by our busyness because we've not stopped to see the bigness of God right here in this moment. If somehow we could stop for just a moment and realize and recognize the bigness of God right here, I think we would be slain in shock and all. How, how, do we, how have we gotten to this place in, in America, I mean, potentially our world, but I can only speak for where we're at right now here in Augusta, Georgia. How do we do this? How do we get to the place to where the thing that's most valuable to us, we find that we have actually sanded it away by our busyness? It's because we have failed to stop and see the bigness of God. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy. I want you to understand, this was not a suggestion. And and I'm going to share something with you. And and I may shock you with my statement here. But when he was talking about the Sabbath, he wasn't talking about just church on Sunday and coming and sitting. That is part of it. That is how we honor it. But you can come to church and not honor Jesus. You, you You can come to this place with hands lifted and not worship him. I don't care what kind of LEDs we put on the wall. That doesn't mean we're worshiping the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. But see, honoring the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, to keep it holy was not a suggestion. This was actually a commandment. And 
Why would God, though? See, here's the thing, and I've got to ask, because I, I, I I'm just like you, I have to ask. Why in the world would God put such a demand on his people? Let me try to explain it like this. Jesus' disciples are cruising through a field one day, a field of corn, I guess, and something very similar, I guess, and as they're walking through, he's excited about this, as they're walking through, the disciples start grabbing ears of corn. And when this happens, the Pharisees who were always following around the disciples to try to hang them up on some kind of law breaking, they get upset and righteous indignation wells up inside them. And they immediately say, you can't do that. That's work on the Sabbath. Because it was a Sunday afternoon, if you will. They're cruising through the cornfield and they're grabbing it and they're eating. And they accuse them of working on the Sabbath. Jesus responds in Mark 2, 27, says, and he said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, what happened was <laughs> the Pharisees made the Sabbath something you worshiped instead of worshiping the God of the Sabbath. We can come to church and not worship Jesus. We can come and serve in kids, in the parking lot, in here, in music, sound, whatever it might be. We can come and serve and actually not serve Jesus. Why? Because there, there's this fine line. There's this, and it's almost, it's almost inconceivable, if you will, or, or, or not, that's not the right word. It's, um, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's almost imperceptible. Is that the right way to say it? Sometimes where that fine line is, that when you, you leave serving God and you just start serving your own interests. And, and so what he's saying is, listen, the Sabbath wasn't about not doing something, not working, not vacationing, not, no, not this, not that. They got it all wrong. See, the Sabbath is all about stopping to see God's bigness in our lives. That's what it was about. But yet they belittled it by making the day holier than the God of the day. And we do the same thing when we come to church to check it off the list. Or you come because you know, after about three or four weeks, I'm going to call and try to find out where you're at. Some of you are going, well, you never called me. Because <laughs> I stopped doing that years ago, actually. I stopped doing that. Because if you come to church just so I don't call you. You're not coming to worship Jesus. You're not honoring the Sabbath. You're, you're not making it holy. You're making it about me and you're making it about you. See, if we come for any other reason than that of arresting ourselves and recognizing God as bigger than us, we've not actually remembered it. You see, when we remember something, we are actually putting together the pieces of what has become fragmented. When we remember the Sabbath, we're actually putting back together in our hearts and mind that what God did, what God does, and what he will do. We are remembering his bigness. See, when we stop to see God's bigness, it causes us to rest in him. Again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And again, I started off with how many are busy and all of us are busy. All of us are consumed with schedules. And, and I want you to understand something. That's okay. It's good. 
We are supposed to labor. We're supposed to work. We're supposed to go out of town and enjoy trips and vacations. We're supposed to do all of those things. It's all a part of God's design. But what is not a part of God's design is when we refuse to stop, even but for just a few hours on the Sabbath and say, God, you're bigger than my job. You're bigger than my home. You're bigger than my issues. You're bigger than my problem. You're bigger than my family. You're bigger than my health problems. You are bigger than everything. When we fail to do that, we haven't remembered the Sabbath. We haven't kept it holy. He says, look, you've got six other days to do everything else you want to do. It doesn't matter. Do it. Enjoy it. Have a good time. But this day, it's mine. And the way we keep it holy is that we make it all about him and the pursuit of him. And I love the fact that we have online church, but can I tell you, online church is never supposed to be or never was designed to be a replacement of coming together. You know what online's for? When you got the Ronin, you can't come, so you got to watch it at home. That's what it's for. When you're laid up in the hospital and you got your phone and you can watch service and still have some connection. Maybe when you're on the job and you take your lunch break a little early so you can watch the service because you're working on a Sunday. Or you're traveling somewhere and maybe, maybe you are out on a trip, a vacation somewhere, and guess what? You don't have to leave church behind. You can take it with you and it, you can still keep that connection. But when you're in town, when you're here, you ought to be here remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy. Oh, that, that's a little stringent. Okay. Maybe, perhaps. Um, but tell me one good thing that's ever happened to you out of missing church. In all the years I've pastored, in all the years I have been a child of God, I have never witnessed anybody who consistently misses church ever end up in a good place. Ever. Not because I said it. Not because the word of God says, remember the Sabbath. But no, because it's true. In fact, the scripture says that we ought to meet together even more as we see the final day approaching. I've heard people say, I'm coming back to church. I, I, I love it when, I, when, a, when a guy will text me or call me and say, hey, I'm coming back to church, pastor. Well, where have you been for a year? Well, you know, the Lord's really been moving on me. I'm, just now? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to church. What happened? Well, you know, there's some things that have happened. He's got my attention. I, I got some sickness going on. I've got this going wrong in my life. And, and, uh, and God must be trying to get my attention because he wants me to do something for him. That's usually the thing. I got to come back to church because I got to do something for him. No, actually, God doesn't want you to do anything for him. He just wants your attention, period. He wants you to seek him. You see, we can argue all day long when church is supposed to be. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Sabbath is actually today. Because if you go back in history and you put all the days together, actually today isn't the Sabbath. Yesterday was. But God bless our Seventh-day Adventists. Um, maybe they're the ones that got it right. I, I don't know. But he, here's the thing. It's not about the particular day. But it is about the coming together. Does everybody understand that? 
And it just so happens that in the good old U.S. of A. in Augusta, Georgia, we come together on Sunday. And the youth get together, I think, on Wednesdays or something like that or whatever. And some of you even get together on some small group areas at times, right? With the men and the women in, the, in this club and that club, the, you know, the row, row, row your boat club or the bicycling club or, or, or whatever it might be, the Deer Hunters Anonymous. You know, we, we, go, we get together, right? And it's all, it's all good and it's all wonderful. But it's not about the day and it's not about the moment necessarily, but it is about the coming together uh, in the presence of God as one body before one God as we worship him. But watch this. In John 4, there's this interesting situation to where the disciples tell Jesus, you know, they're, they're all hungry. They've been working and they're hungry. And he says, all right, go into town and get us something to eat. And Jesus says, y'all go ahead. I'm a little weary. I'm going to stay back here at this well and I'm going to get something to drink. But here's the problem. He ain't got nothing to pull something out of the well with. But you know, Jesus being Jesus, you would think he can handle that. And then this lady walks up and she's one messed up dude or whatever, woman. Uh, <laughs> Got to specify these days. And, um, and so, dear God, what's wrong with me? And so they're having this conversation about where they should worship so I want you to understand, this dialogue of where to worship is not something new to the human race. It happened way back when Jesus was trying to make a church out of people. And they're, they're fussing about, well, we worship over here, but you Jews, y'all worship across the, across the interstate. That's what she was saying. And they're kind of going back and forth on where to worship. And of course, Jesus being Jesus, he puts it on her. He says, y'all don't even have a clue what to worship. (laughs) And then he says this. If you knew, in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Girl, You fussing about where to go to church, but you don't even attend church, period. Girl, you've been going to your mama's church, you've been dead 40 years, and you've been going to that church, you don't even know why you go. You just know a few folk there, so it's not uncomfortable, it's a little comfortable. And so you don't even know why you worship me in this moment, in this place. He's saying, but if you would understand what Sabbath really means, you would be asking me for a drink of living water. And here's my point. We come to church to get living water. We honor the Sabbath to get living water from Jesus. Does that make sense? Oh, good. I did my job. Okay. You see, God is more interested in us asking him for living water than he ever is interested in us in doing anything for him. I mean, we're talking about the dude that paves his streets with gold. So fine and so pure that it's actually translucent. That's... The God we serve. And you really think he needs you to do anything? I mean, this is the God that turns water into wine, folk. This is the God that heals blind eye, blinded eyes. Heals the lame, the leper. Cast out every demon. Without a question. And you really think 
God needs your attention so you can do something for him. No, what he actually needs is you to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy by seeking him and him only, even for just a few hours on a Sunday morning. You see, Sabbath is all about stopping to see what is missing. But for far too many, it is us who are missing on Sabbath. Psalm 46, 10 says, Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Know that I'm God. Be still. Stop being so busy. Take a breather. How many, how many have joined us on our, our, our devotional for the church devotional? Anybody, anybody reading that every day? Man, that's the, that's the greatest part of my morning. Except when I see her beautiful eyes open up. That's, the, the, that's my first thing. But my, of course, when I get up early to do devotion, she's like, don't even look at me. Because <laughs> then her eyes are red and fiery. He says, be still. And though he's got, what's he saying? Arrest your thoughts, arrest your activity, stop for a moment and see the bigness of God. See his bigness. Isaiah 40, 30, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word wait literally means to have trust or confidence in, in someone, especially as regards to the future. How many are a little unsettled about what's happening in our world right now? You're a little torn about the future. Maybe you're, you're, you're freaking out a little bit about the finances. I am. That's what we do at Mitchum Incorporated. It's part of my weakness. Because I can never have enough saved. I can never, never have enough there. And, and that's a problem. Why? Because that's just busy work. That's just busyness in my mind rather than stopping and waiting on God to do what God's going to do. So he says to wait on him, meaning I'm going to stop. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to seek him. And as a result, I'm going to get the rest of God. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste, to savor, to perceive. Here, here's the sense of the word, taste. It literally means to find out. And in order to find out, you got to stop. you got to arrest yourself. you gotta, you got to say, you know what, Lord, no matter what comes, I'm going to be faithful to the house of God. I'm going to show up and I'm going to seek your face. Don't show up because of a preacher. Don't show up because of, of a friend or a loved one. Don't show up because, you, because there's just something else going on that's maybe new and fun and attractive. And No, we don't, we don't show up for those reasons. We show up to seek the face of God. We show up because he implores us to, st- to stop, to wait, to see, to taste and see that he's good. That word see literally means to understand. It means to reveal, to look at, to examine, to inspect, to show. And what he is saying, the sense of it is to experience something conceived as being present during the experience so as to view it. We used to call this service the Revivify Experience. (laughs) Sounds kind of corny today, but it worked in those days. Worked good. 
But can I tell you, I still want it to be an experience. Why? I I want you to experience the goodness of God. I want you to experience the love of God. I want you to experience the glory of God. I want you to experience the, 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 the awesomeness, the bigness of God. And the only way we can do that is by stopping for a moment on a Sunday morning and experience His love and His presence. I'm wrapping this up. I'm just about done. Many of you know that I am a fanatic of C.S. Lewis's writings about the Narnia Chronicles. There's no other book and now the films and and they they do a decent job of depicting what C.S. Lewis tried to convey to us it it brings your it brings pictures to your imagination and and I'm absolutely in love with it in fact I have I have taken days where I've watched all three movies and read some of my little books that I've got on the Chronicles and and I'm just fascinated with it but in one of the writings, uh, I believe it was Prince Caspian's, right? And, and, but that segment of it, um, Lucy finds herself along with her siblings back in Narnia after a very long extended time away. And Aslan, I want you to understand, Aslan, which was depicting Jesus, uh, he wasn't anywhere to be found. And so Lucy aches to, to see him deeply. She, she, she wants to see Aslan. And one night she wakes to a stirring in the forest and, and there's a voice calling. <clears throat> and while the others are sound asleep next to the fire, she gets up and she pursues it deeper into the woods. And this is what happened. If you don't mind, I, w- I would like to read this portion, this segment of it, this excerpt of it. And it says this. A circle of grass, smooth as lawn, met her eyes with dark trees dancing all around it. And then, oh joy, for he was there. The huge lion, shining white in the moonlight, with his huge black shadow underneath him. But for a moment of his tail, might have, it might have been a stone lion, but Lucy never thought of that. She never stopped to think whether he was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face into the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy. At last, the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. Can you see that? Can you imagine that? Y'all need to get some imagination. He bent forward. This this is amazing to me. He bent forward and just touched the nose with his tongue. Beck does that to me sometimes. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face. Welcome, child, he said. Who's the, who's, the, who's the actor that does the voice? What's his name? Neil, Neil, uh, Liam Nielsen, or Neil, Liam. Liam what? Yeah, that guy. Can you hear his voice? Welcome, child. 
He said, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. And his response, that is because you're older, little one. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you'll find me bigger. Church, it's time to find Jesus bigger than we did last year. It's time to find Jesus bigger than pre-pandemic. Too many of us are sitting in church and we're still not growing in his presence so we don't find the rest that he established for us. And I realize the story I read to you is so fantastic in nature and imagination. It's, it, it, it's actually imagination gone rogue. But there's a principle there. Lucy was all beside herself. She's worried. She's frantic. She's anxious. Fretting over the current situation of Narnia. But her heart's cry, notice this, her heart's cry was to get to Aslan. And when she did, she rested in an almost playful moment as a child. And all was right in the world, her world, her Narnia at that moment. I want you to stand. And I just wonder today, how much of our lives would be righted if we long to be in his presence and allow Jesus to take over our situations and give us true rest? Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May 17th. I think it was May 17th. 2020, whatever that Sunday is around that date. I think it was that. We came back together as a church for the first time in like 12 weeks. Because they told us, man, y'all don't, y'all don't meet, man. Y'all don't meet. There's a, there's a deadly thing out there that's going to kill everybody. And we're, we, you know, we just did what we thought was right and, and prudent and not knowing what in the world we were talking about not knowing where, where the information was coming from it just y'all can't meet y'all gotta stay away and, and I, it, 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 was, it was weird man I don't know if you drove the road that day but there was nobody out it, it, was, it was just I mean this zombie apocalypse had taken place and everybody died and it was freaky and it was just frightening but on that 17th if you will again whatever date it was we all come back together as a church after 12 weeks apart 11, 12 weeks apart and man, I was excited. And this is what we did. We took out all these chairs, right? We, 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 we eliminated half the chairs that we have and, and we had all this space in a row. That way you didn't spit on each other and, and we were all masked up, gloved up. We, we were ready to rock and roll. We were gonna beat this thing. We were coming together. 
And I'll never forget, we held two services and we packed out both. And man, that was so exciting. Do you remember the feeling of coming back together going, yeah. And I was like, man, maybe this is the start of two or three services for Revival Church. Here we go, right? We're actually gonna get it done this time. And then the second week, same thing, man. Packed the place out, both services. You know, packed out meaning COVID standards. And I was excited. I was like, all right, God, this COVID thing ain't too bad. This got everybody stirred up. They all coming back to see you, Jesus. They're excited because they didn't have you for a while. Couldn't, couldn't come to be with each other for a while. Now, it's, they're excited. This is, good. this is a good thing, God. And then Governor McAllister in South Carolina, Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia, made this horrific, horrible announcement. The beaches are open. At the, I mean, the same week. Like within a few days of each other, I think it was. And I was like, okay. We're going to do two services. That day, we put less than 100 people in the house in two services. Combined. Why? I get it because we were told we couldn't travel and then all of a sudden now you can travel. But can I challenge you a little bit? Perhaps, maybe, could this be the reason? That we actually thought the beach was more important than Jesus. We actually thought the beach was more important than coming together as a house of God in one of the most horrific moments of our lives that we've ever known. Now, some of you may remember some really bad moments somewhere another time, and that's, that's fine. And, and I'm not, you know. But we got to get to the place where Jesus is first in everything in our life. Everything. They're going to sing a song here in just a minute. And... It, 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 it's incredible. It's an incredible song. Uh, and it's all about it being Jesus. And it's all about giving it to him. And he, he's worthy of it all. He's this. I think it's the one y'all are doing, right? Whatever. Nope. Y'all, whatever y'all are doing. Anyway, it was on the list. Now y'all messed me up. <clears throat> but but here, here's the thing. Is Jesus really worthy of it all? Can I, can I challenge you? Is he... Is he really worthy of not missing a service unless you absolutely have to? Man, that's tough preaching. You ain't going to build a big church on that. Nope. Give me a church of 200 on fire, Holy Spirit filled, dedicated people. Over a thousand people who were cold, dead, and twice plucked up by the roots. I don't think they're going to have me at Catalyst preaching anytime soon. <laughs> but there is this particular song, and, and they're not prepared for it today, and, and, I, and I'm not going to ask them to do it, but it's, it's, one, of my, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's an old one. And no one can sing it better than Jason Crabb. 
But it's I'd rather have Jesus. And he's, it's just a beautiful story of, if you follow it, it says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than riches untold. Don't, don't embarrass me. Come on, y'all. Go, go with me. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hands than to be a king of a vast domain he says can you imagine or be held by sin's dread sway oh I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today So I ask you, would you rather have him? Would you rather have him than houses or land? If you would, I, I, I just want you to come up here and we're just gonna we're just gonna worship him. I'm not asking you to commit to a church. I'm not asking you to, to come up here and ask God for anything. I, I just want you to come up here and just lay it all before him and say, God, there's nothing more important to you. Or more, no, 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 nothing more important to me than you. I want to put you first, Jesus, in my life. And he's been so good to us. And, 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 and please don't mis- misconstrue anything I've said today. He wants you to rest. He wants you to take vacations. He wants you to enjoy life. He said that he came to give you life and life more abundantly. That's all a part of it. It's what we should do. It's a part of it. You should work hard and you should give it everything you got. But my Lord, what would happen if we told Jesus and we committed to Jesus to be 100% totally sold out? To him. I'm not talking about being a freak or a fanatic. I'm just talking about loving Jesus with everything that's in you to where there is nothing you wouldn't do to be in his presence. Let's lift our hands all across this house as they begin to sing and take us there.